Some novels occasionally begin at the end of the story. They outline the current situation and then the remainder of the novel relates to how that situation came about. And often biographies do the same thing. In fact, a biography I'm reading at the moment does exactly that. The writer begins with his wife's diagnosis with pancreatic cancer and then shows as he works through her time that how her earlier life experiences had helped her to cope with that situation. And that's how Psalm 32, it begins by referring to the blessings that you experience when God deals with your sin, then goes on to talk about the burdens you bear when you cover up your sins, and finally it concludes by referring to the benefits that you receive when you take cover in God. And so the psalm was written by King David and he begins by describing for us the blessing that you experience when God deals with your sin. He said, writes, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Disobedience, sin, iniquity, record of guilt. In a sense, they all refer to the same thing, but in actual fact, they spell out different aspects of it. Disobedience or transgression suggests deliberately breaking the law. You know, what happens when a footballer breaks one of the rules of the game? Maybe he strikes another a player or he back chats the umpire, there's a free kick or they're reported because they have disobeyed the rules of the game. The, the word sin carries the idea of missing the target. Once again, think of football. If a player is aiming for the goal and miss, we say he's off target, that he didn't achieve what he was aiming for. And for people, sin means falling short of what we should be aiming for. Paul defines it in Romans 3 as falling short of the glory of God. Or in, uh, I like it in the message, we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us disobedience, sin, iniquity means that idea of straying from the straight path, of going off the rails, of going in a way that is crooked and twisted. And so David begins this psalm by saying and assuring us that there is unbelievable blessing for those whose transgressions or whose deliberate disobedience is forgiven or carried away. The load is lifted. Some of you may remember in Pilgrim's Progress that uh, when uh, Christian comes to the cross, he feels his burden rolled away. David says there's unbelievable blessing for the one whose sin or the missing of the mark 
is covered or is put out of sight. Bible suggests that God buries it in the very depths of the sea. David says there is unbelievable blessing for the one whose iniquity or straying from the path is not held against him or her. Such a person is no longer being regarded as in debt. The debt is cleared. There's no record of it. I read of an Englishman who owned a Rolls Royce and he took it over to the continent for, for a holiday. And unfortunately, while he was over and driving around in Europe, his front axle broke. Of course, that sort of thing was never supposed to happen to a Rolls-Royce. A Rolls-Royce never breaks down. Anyway, he contacted the Rolls-Royce people back in England and he told them his problem. What do you suggest I do? He asked. Well, the Rolls-Royce people flew a mechanic over. He repaired the car, mechanic flew back to England, the owner continued to drive around Europe, all the time wondering how much is this going to cost me? And so when he got back to England and there was still no account waiting for him, he wrote to the Rolls-Royce people and uh, asked how much he owed them. He received a letter back that read, Dear Sir, there is no record anywhere in our files of your Rolls-Royce axle breaking. <laughs> they deleted the record of the breakdowns, they'd wiped the slate clean, they'd acted as if the fault had not happened, as if the car was always in perfect working order. And that's a small picture of of something that happens when God forgives our sins. It typifies what God does in wiping the slate clean through Christ. That God deletes our records of failure, our record of failures. That he declares us not guilty. That he treats us as if we had not rebelled against him. That he does not hold our sin against us. And as we said, all of these various aspects that words that David used all overlap. We all transgress or break God's law. We all sin and miss the target. We're all guilty of going astray from God's path. But like David, God offers to us his pardon and his forgiveness. And this kind of forgiveness is real and deep and it, it breaks us, doesn't it? It forces to be, us to be honest about our own sinful nature and our own perverse nature. That when God catches us and exposes us and forgives us, he also frees us from pretense. And as a result, we can be honest. And that's exactly what David does next. He's honest with us about his condition before he experienced God's pardon. While he lived with his unconfessed sin, he was a different man. He was literally going through hell. And so he writes of the burden you bear when you cover up your sins. He wrote, when I confessed, refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. 
So what is it that, that lies behind this acknowledgement of blessing that follows forgiveness? What was it that caused this trauma that David records? As we said, David was a man who had many gifts and good things, but also he was a man who had made many mistakes. And it's quite likely that it was after one of these times when he dis deliberately disobeyed God that uh, this particular thing happened. And that particular event was very likely what we read about in, in uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where David committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his most distinguished soldiers. And then he initiated a conspiracy in attempt to cover it up. And that included arranging for the assassination of her husband, then covering it up for a year. But then David was confronted by God's prophet Nathan, who rebuked the king for what he'd done. He went about it in a very clever way. He told a story, a story about a rich man with many sheep who stole the pet lamb of a very poor man. And then he killed that lamb so that he could feed a visitor that he had. David was ropeable that such an injustice should, should, should occur. And he demanded heavy, uh, heavy punishment on the perpetrator. Then the prophet looked David in the eye and he says, that's you I'm talking about. And as a result, David admitted his wrong and in Psalm 51, he expressed his remorse. He pleaded God's pardon. And it seems that it was probably at the same time that he wrote this Psalm 32. David thought he'd covered his tracks pretty well. Outwardly, he gave the impression that everything was sweet and serene. Life went on as normal. And yet, from what he writes here, it's obviously that inwardly he was experiencing turmoil and agony. There was inner pain that nagged him night and day. Long before the term psychosomatic was in anybody's vocabulary, David experienced it. But it was, of course, it was more than that. David's awareness of his guilt and the fact that he was hiding it affected him physically and emotionally. He tells how his tortured conscience resulted in alarming physical symptoms. He knew he'd done wrong, but he wasn't prepared to admit it publicly. He repressed guilt meant that there was internal pain that set him groaning day and night. He experienced inward turmoil and agony. The consequence was a loss of strength. There was a sense of inner darkness that overwhelmed him and swallowed him. David knew all of this, but he wasn't willing to do anything about it because he thought he'd covered his tracks well. But unconfessed sin leads to divine disapproval. And consequently, he was unable to find any sense of relief from his condition. There was the only way to experience was relief was through full confession. 
Before David was prepared, prepared to admit his sin and his need for forgiveness from God, God was at work disciplining him so that he would come to recognise his failure, so that he would come to that point of being ready to confess it. He writes, day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. And the consequence of God's discipline was the, this physical and emotional agony that David was experiencing. David's graphic description, how it felt to be under conviction of sin. And that's this, an accurate description of the struggle that, that any Jesus follower goes through when any of us has sin that we've not dealt with and it's caused as God convicts us. Conviction of sin may be unpleasant but it is a sign of God at work in a person's life. Conviction of sin may be painful but it is necessary before any blessing of, conf or of forgiveness can be known. But it was only, of course, with hindsight that David recognised this. Hiding from God is stupid. And God did not give up on David, who allowed his stubborn refusal to ask for forgiveness to be the final word. He helps the king realise that to try and hide from him and to hide his sins is stupid. We know that, don't we, personally. But most of us do it again and again and again. Why do we do it? Maybe because we don't want to stop what we're doing or we're too proud to agree with God that what we are doing is wrong. And what we find here in Psalm 32 is that conviction of our sins by God needs to be met by our willingness to confess it. That's what David did. Look what he wrote in verse 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Friends, you and I need the Holy Spirit to impress on us that sin really matters to God. And that's the Holy Spirit's work to convince us that our sin is a reality. And the whole purpose of that is to bring us to the point of admitting our sin to the Lord. And God used Nathan's confrontation of David to bring him to that point. You are that man were words that came directly from God through Nathan to David. But confession to God is more than admitting our sin is real. It's also rejecting our sin as repulsive. And David came to that point because he tells us, I acknowledge my sin and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. There David used those three words again, sin, iniquity, transgressions. 
He takes his falling short of God's standard. He takes his straying from the Lord and and he takes his rebellion and offers them all to God. I acknowledge it. I made known my sin to you. I opened up about it. Instead of trying to cover up, I revealed it. But look what he writes next. David moves from testimony to challenge. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the flood waters of judgment. What's David saying? He's saying, my experience can be your experience as well. And so here we find the answer to the question, how can I receive the blessing that David wrote about in verse 1? The blessing comes when we confess our sins to the Lord, when we accept his forgiveness. Anyone who does not conceal his or her sin but confesses them to God will find the tremendous happiness of a clean conscience and peace with God just as David did. I wonder if God is bringing some to mind in some of our minds this morning, some unconfessed sin, gossip, petty theft, pornography, envy, pride, something else. David's challenge to us as we read his words is deal with it now. Come to God now for pardon while he's convicting you. And today as Jesus' followers, we have the benefits of what Jesus did when he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so we are assured that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I guess all of this perhaps causes some of us to say, well, why is confession necessary? Why doesn't God, just in his grace, just forgive us all out, all sin in everybody, no strings attached? Why do we need to make confession? It's because every sin we commit is an insult to God. It's a slap in his face, whether we see it that way or not. We, cannot, we must confess our sins for God cannot cover our sins in forgiveness unless we uncover them in confession. I guess some of us may have heard some people say, well, sin and the recognition of it is just a Christian neurosis. And they then go on to say that the consequence of that is it makes for a morbid, morose outlook on life. And that leads to a destructive self, lower self-esteem. But we find, don't we, that David's experience demonstrates that recognising the reality about ourselves, admitting the truth, coming clean with God about the seriousness of our offence is not only right, but it is also beneficial. And so David makes confession. What's the outcome? When the king brings his failure before the Lord, he finds that things changed. 
He's relieved of the cover-up that has caused his spiritual and physical agony. Rather than having to cover up his own iniquity, he now allows the God to cover it for him. Not only is his sin forgiven, but even the guilt is taken away. Imagine a man trying to carry a heavy boulder on his shoulders, so heavy that it weighs him down as he staggers along. And so there's a real relief when he puts it down. And similarly, when the terrible crushing weight of one's guilt is removed, there is a sense of relief. And that was David's experience. Of course, we today can know and experience something that David wasn't able to. But if we want to experience God's forgiveness, we must be sure of his mercy. And we see that in the cross, don't we? For there Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. In Jesus, God himself bore the responsibility for our sin. He lifted up the crushing stone of guilt that weighed us down and pinned us down and he ushered us into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We are cleansed because Jesus has paid the penalty through his blood. He restores us to fellowship with himself. And so it's after that he has confessed his sin and experienced God's pardon that David was able to write those words that he began with at the beginning of the psalm. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. I think David wished he probably sang and knew the hymn that we often sing. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And with that sense of joy and of, of, of liberation, when we uncover our sin and take cover in God, David says, these are the benefits that you receive when you take cover in God. He says in verse verse 7, there is the blessing of God's protective care. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The same man who in verse 4 complained that he was oppressed by God's hand, here declares God to be his hiding place. Whereas before he feared God as his judge, now he takes refuge in him as his protector. The person who has experienced God's forgiveness has no need to fear the flood of God's judgment. What a blessing. Instead of having to run from God, we can now run to God and know that we are safe. Then David says there is also the blessing of God's guidance. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle 
to keep it under control. These verses are saying that God will teach and guide the person who is sensitive to him. That if we confess our sins and grow in sensitivity to his word, that he will direct us in his ways. That we're not to be stubborn or self-willed like a horse or mule that have to be directed by a bit and bridle. These animals don't have any moral sense to guide them in planning the right way. They rely on instinct or ingrained training or human control to guide them. But God's people are to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit and his word, developing a tender conscience. God will use these means to direct the forgiven sinner into the way of godly living. And finally, David said, when when all our sin has been dealt with, there is the blessing of God's unfailing love. He says, many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. David ends the psalm by contrasting the wicked who have many sorrows with the righteous who have uh, surrounded by the Lord's unfailing love. The righteous aren't those who never sin, but those who are upright in heart, those who have confessed their sins. When we make God our hiding place and he surrounds us with his unfailing love. The thought of God's mercy to sinners who don't deserve it causes David to conclude with a shout of joy He ends as he begins with this shout of praise and thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, you whose hearts are pure. The late John Stott in one of his books wrote about Marganita Lasky, one of England's best known secular humanists and novelists. Just before she died in 1988, she said in a television interview, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Psalm Psalm 32 shows God's blessings for those who are forgiven. This psalm tells us that sin brings sorrow but confession brings forgiveness and forgiveness brings joy that was David's experience and I trust it will be your experience and mine too let us pray Father we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from those who have gone before us We thank you for the life of David. We thank you for the way that you used him, but also the way that you worked in his life to deal with him when he sinned. And we thank you that you brought him to that place of repentance. Father, we see ourselves in David. We may not have done the things that David did, but You have reminded us that we have all sinned, that we all fall short of 
living the glorious lives that you want us to. So, our God, we pray that we might at all times, when your spirit convicts, come and make confession to you and know and experience your grace and your pardon and your cleansing and the joy that comes from that. Hear our prayer as we offer it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Barry. Um, in